0: In the ring with Eusebius Mackayza. Eusebius in this edition of In the Ring with Eusebius MacKaiser, we put liberalism on trial. I have been a liberal for as long as I can remember, and in South Africa, that is right up there with name tagging yourself with a horrible word. Some people would be embarrassed to be called a liberal, let alone be brave enough to say, hey, I'm a liberal. And that is because in South Africa, liberalism in the public space seems to be a label that is reserved for certain people within the Democratic Alliance, the likes of a John Steenhaysen, a Tony Leon, a Helen Ziller, and some of the other thinkers within the party that dominate the public messaging of the Democratic Alliance. Well, the question is, can one be a black radical and be committed to liberalism? Can one be deeply committed to racial justice and be a liberal? Can one rescue liberalism, occupy it, as philosopher Charles Mills has written many years in the global context about liberalism, and try to reconcile liberalism with radical black thought, firstly, and secondly, to wrest it away from those liberals who do not share one's commitment to egalitarianism and to social democracy and to racial justice, but are liberals in a different sense because, after all, there isn't just one kind of liberal. There are many liberalisms, just as you might find many different kind of socialists and many kind of different Marxists. And so in this podcast, I have the absolute pleasure of a conversation with Dr. Richard Pithouse. Richard is a great friend of mine, I think is an excellent South African Academic, writer, and commentator, and he is someone whose work I've always admired and taken seriously. Part of it is because he's got a deep commitment to historicism, and at the same time, he is analytically very careful in his thinking and to have both of those traits in one person is absolutely enviable. And Richard, in many essays over the years, have been a critic of liberalism, but he takes liberalism seriously enough to make sure that his criticism of it is really, really thick, that it is well-formulated, and not just waspish. And I thought, what better person to ask, what is your beef with liberalism, than to put that question to Dr. Richard Pitthouse? And in turn, to also explain to Richard why I think that liberalism, in fact, makes sense as a foundational philosophy with which to try and achieve a more just South Africa and to see whether Richard is prepared to re-examine his own views about liberalism. This is how the conversation between myself and Richard played out. Richard, you've written many thought pieces over the years that are excellent critiques of liberalism. One of the things I admire about your work is that you are both deeply historical and empirical on the one hand, and on the other hand, with your background in analytical philosophy, you also care for theoretical and normative debate, and you bring the two together quite well. Some of us who defend liberalism, myself included, often don't want to have the inconvenient conversation about liberalism's actual history in the real world and want to have a conversation about liberalism at the theoretical level. So why don't we start with the history of liberalism? What is your beef with liberalism in terms of how it pans out if one takes a long view of history in relation to questions of justice in particular?
1: Well, there's a lot of um, self-righteousness in certain circles, whether it's you know a politics textbook for South African students or the Guardian about liberalism. It's assumed that, you know, Marxism, you know, sort of crashed on the rocks of history with the Soviet Union, that African nationalism had the same experience, you know, when dictatorships emerged and corruption, but that liberalism is this pristine, pure history that can be unapologetically uncomplicatedly affirmed. That's only possible if you, I mean, it's always contested, but it's only possible to try and make that argument if you look at liberalism within the context of white Euro-America. I mean, the first major liberal thinker is is, uh, John
0: Locke.
1: Uh, John Locke was personally invested in slavery. Um, He worked for the English colonial project in the US. He helped to write the constitutions for the Carolinas. His book, Two Treaties of Government, I'm sure you also read it at university and it was a sort of classic that was always prescribed, published in 1689, um, is many things but part of it is an argument for colonialism in the Americas. There's uh, an explicit justification for the enclosure of the commons generally, which was also taken to apply in Ireland. There's an explicit justification for not counting Native American people as humans, if I remember correctly, he says they are not joined with the rest yes. of mankind. Yeah. And there is, in the Constitution he wrote for the Carolinas, an absolutely explicit commitment to racial subordination.
0: I, so, I totally accept that. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to you before we started this conversation, one contemporary philosopher <laughs> who I'm a great fan of is Charles Mills' And Charles says, in confronting the history of liberalism, I have to concede, not just because I'm caught out by the empirical facts, but because it is truth. Um, The history of liberalism is inextricably bound with the history of white supremacy.
1: Yes, theoretically.
0: Yeah, you can't divorce the two. So I I completely accept that. I... I, (laughs) Do you think it is a schoolboy debating move to say, however, that we have to draw a distinction between the white supremacist hegemony in whose service liberalism functioned and still does across time and place and distinguish that contingent history from what liberalism could yet do in terms of bringing about racial justice. And, and I say that in part because I think to myself, but we could equally talk about the really bad histories of all ideologies in terms of what the men, and it's mostly men, did with those ideologies. I mean, let's take a contemporary example. We've got a cabinet filled with people who call themselves communists. Some will say they're at least socialist in their thinking, and all they've delivered is a country of deep inequality, millions of people marginalized, their dignity shredded by this ANC-led government in cahoots with a communist partner. And so when it comes to the empirical facts, there are very few ideal theories in political theory that look cool next to empirical reality. So is it the problem with liberalism or is it the problem with the people who call themselves liberal?
1: I mean... Yes, of course, there's a whole range of theories that um, make certain claims for themselves and then have had totally different results in reality. That's true of liberalism too. I think the difference with liberalism is firstly that in sort of the circuits of Euro-American hegemony which are fracturing now because of challenges of different kinds, Liberalism has been uncontested. It's just been assumed to be virtuous and universal in its uh, virtue. So the work of placing it in historical context is really important there because there's a double standard. That would always be done for communism. It wouldn't be done for liberalism. You have to treat all all these ideas the same. But the other point is, and I was making this point with Locke, but you could say the same about John Stuart Mill, the other really great liberal philosopher, is that racism is not incidental to the theory. Um, It is absolutely central. I mean, Mill, in his famous essay on on liberty, says right up at the top, you know, of course, what I'm talking about doesn't apply to the majority of humanity. He says, despotism is a legitimate form of government for barbarians, like Locke, he was actually involved in colonialism. So there's no question that um, liberalism historically was both theoretically and practically a legitimating ideology for colonialism. Um, of course, it guaranteed certain freedoms at home in Europe for certain categories of people who hadn't had them before. I think your question is, goes way beyond that, though. You asking, can it be redeemed? Can can liberalism be, be challenged? Can you have a liberalism that is not racist? Yeah, the
0: fundamental question, uh, which is the point of this podcast, is whether liberalism can be in service of racial justice in a country like South Africa. Can one begin to map out what a different South Africa should look like and a path towards it that is based on and inspired by and draws upon liberal ideology? Or is liberalism a non-starter for imagining a more just and a more racially just, specifically South Africa? And maybe yeah, Richard, I, I should... Give you a sense of why I do that, because maybe as my friend, you're probably secretly wondering, you know, I mean, this dude is, broadly speaking, left of center. Um, mm-hmm. Why the fuck would he want to call himself a liberal? You know, we, we associate people like Helen Ziller with liberalism, and surely you see this doesn't want to be in the same WhatsApp group. So yes, for me, the basic tenets of what I find attractive about liberalism in terms of what it may yet do. Everything you've said about the historical record, I completely accept. And I, and I think you've been consistent and beautiful in, in essays over the years reminding us that liberalism should be put on trial empirically the way other ideologies have been. I think to keep it very simple and practical, and and maybe here is also the way in which biography informs (laughs) why it is that we find certain ideologies attractive more than some, you know, extrinsic intellectual reasons. In my case, I think of growing up as a gay boy in a country that is deeply conservative. I think of being agnostic, bordering on atheism in a family that is deeply committed to Catholicism. And then I am of mixed racial heritage in a country where the majority of the population is not. When you are in so many minority boxes and when you you are such a unique individual, and of course there's a sense in which every single one of us is unique, you are profoundly aware of the potential oppressive nature of social structures, the church, the family as a site of oppression, and the dangers of a conservative majoritarianism if we did not have a constitution, for example, that is normatively quite liberal in appreciating that maximal freedom for the individual to give expression to their most freely chosen autonomous self is what should be the default kind of freedom that we should try and protect. And whatever power we give the state and groups and the family and other social structures, without undermining their sociological importance in the life of the individual, we should always be suspicious of them in service of protecting the space for that individual to live their life freely as an individual. And I find that desire of a kind of society that I want to live in, finds its best expression um, from an ideal theory point of view in, in liberal thinkers. What did you say to that?
1: I would say those ideals of individual autonomy and freedom and mechanisms to protect them against the kind, the kind of chauvinism that can exist in society at large are not just very attractive, they, they're, absolutely necess- they're absolutely necessary. I mean, I think those are things worth basically going to war for. There's a few things you could say in relation to liberalism. One is we just have to repeat the points that the classic liberal thinkers, I'm not saying every liberal thinker, did not intend that for everyone. Yeah. So it would have to be like um, you were saying before we started this conversation, um, some kind of attempt to universalize liberal principles to open that sphere of rights to all. So you'd have to be very clear that that wasn't the original attention. This would have to be a radicalization or universalization of liberalism. But there are, there are other points. I mean, one is that you don't have to go to liberalism for that. I mean, there's nothing that you said there, except maybe the point of constitution being the kind of sort of um, keystone of attempts to regulate those freedoms, you know, to, to protect them, you know, mm. to regulate social interaction, to protect those freedoms. Aside from that, there's nothing that you said that an anarchist wouldn't embrace, you know, individual freedom, autonomy, fundamental to anarchism. And there certainly are um, forms of socialist thoughts that would be equally committed to those values. So you well, wouldn't have to... That's really interesting,
0: in Richard, because... Th- oh, my apologies. Just cash out your last thought. I thought you were, you were giving a clear... Uh, I, I,
1: I, I was basically finished. Um, but I, I think the difference is that liberalism has a theory about how you protect those freedoms, which is mediated through the law. I think that's the difference.
0: Absolutely. I think that's right. One of the things that annoy me about the liberalism debate in South Africa, and I want you and I to chat about both of these two things that annoy me. The first is unique to South Africa. The other one is, is an annoyance across the world when liberalism is spoken about and critiqued. The South African-specific annoyance for me is how liberalism is coextensive in public discourse in South Africa with democratic alliance and its predecessors. And so if you are committed to, for example, a welfare state, a state that intervenes in the market to correct for immoral outcomes from the market, then you're not allowed to call yourself a liberal in the South African context because apparently, unless you are a classical liberal, bordering on libertarianism, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. you can't be a liberal here because some in the DA, not everyone, but the ones who monopolize the expression of what the DA is about. They have become the standard bearers in South African political debate about what it means to be a liberal. So one of the things that's at least puzzling and in the worst scenario, shocking to people if, if someone like myself calls himself a liberal, and yet I've written a book like Run, Races, Run, mm. is because the public has been made to believe that the definition of a liberal is you're a friend of Tony Leon's. Mm. And I find it bloody annoying because there are so many different conceptions of liberalism to choose from. If someone says to me they're liberal, the first question I will ask them is, what do you mean by the term? The term has become, quite frankly, so widely used that you can't have a conversation with someone about liberalism without having clear definitions of, for purposes of that conversation, what do you mean? So, for example, for me, and I used to have this debate with my friend Karima all the time who who hated liberalism, and I said to her, Karima, I don't know what that means. You've got to tell me which liberalism you're talking about. You probably mean to say you hate libertarianism. There are many in the DA that I wouldn't even describe as liberal, but that's a story for another day. But I can tell you what kind of liberal I am. I am a liberal egalitarian, and liberal egalitarian thought recognizes that A precondition for those liberties that matter to the individual whose autonomy is so basic to any any kind of liberalism is that they need to have access to certain kind of goods with which to meaningfully give expression to their individualism. Individualism doesn't get a purchase in my conception of liberalism unless I have access to certain basic goods that make for a meaningful attempt to live the kind of life that upon reflection, I think, is the life that I identify with as the life that that is what gives meaning to Eusebius MacKaiser from a very subjective first-person perspective. And it's a short story from there to embracing policies that you and I, Karima, both embrace, like a welfare state, for example, like making sure that the moral limits of the market are recognized by the South African government and corrected for in policy prescriptions that Tony Leon wouldn't like, that um, Helen Ziller wouldn't like, but that Eusebius would like in the name of liberalism. And that's what, what pisses me off, Richard, and I wonder what your thoughts are on both of those elements. The first is this contingency that liberalism is defined in South Africa as what some in the DA thinks. And then the second is this failure to recognize that liberalism is actually quite complicated. If we had a taxonomy of liberalism, um, you would find that there's a couple of things liberals would agree on, but there would be deep disagreement internally.
1: Of course, there's a range of liberal positions and histories as well. I mean... Liberalism in South Africa is certainly reduced to what the DA think and, you know, the Institute for Race Relations, and they make a very deliberate and explicit claim to represent and control and monopolize that tradition. And of course, that everyone knows they've drifted dramatically rightwards. They deny it, but I mean, that's ridiculous. They've plainly drifted dramatically rightwards in recent years, following a certain kind of international, international trend. But, I mean, liberalism is also misrepresented in South Africa as inevitably and exclusively white. Um, There's a long tradition of of Black liberals. I mean, the Liberal Party in South Africa in the 1960s was way to the left of the DA now. And it had very important black members like Sylvia M Saman, who'd also been in the industrial and commercial workers union, was then in the ANC, like Eddie Daniels, who was imprisoned yeah. on Robben Island. Yeah. There are many black liberals now. So that needs to be put aside. And of course you are right. It is just intellectually dishonest to conflate liberalism or to reduce it, to conflate it with or reduce it to, to the DA. And it's true of all political ideologies that there are a range of positions within that broad rubric. I mean, they're left communists and, you know, center communists and right communists. Mm -hmm. They're they're communists who are appalled by Stalin and communists who would um, embrace Stalin. And and it's the same with everything. I mean, mean, social democracies, socialism, conservatism. I mean, George Bush as a conservative is a completely different thing to Donald Trump.
0: Absolutely. You know, and... Yeah. We,
1: there's a global tendency for people just to kind of shout at each other and caricature each other's positions, especially through social media. We have a very intense form of it; it's not unique. Mm. And I would. So by the way, as a
0: as a parenthetical question, you now in the media space, but you are an academic, so mm. you, you care deeply about public discourse and public debate on political matters. But also, you remain academically committed to 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 the kind of sharp distinctions that that are important in terms of the kind of cleaning up work that, that we would do in the academy. Given these problems with the label, different people mean different things by them. What should we do with our political terminology in the public space? Do you think that the kind of immediate connotations of the word liberal in South Africa means that you would say to me, Eusebius, as a friend of yours, dude, I know that you have a fancy back pocket description of what liberal egalitarianism is, but I would advise you to not call yourself a liberal on Twitter. Or do you think we need to fight for liberalism in the language of Charles Mills, for example, in a really cool paper he wrote uh, exactly about black radicalism being compatible with liberalism? He wrote a paper entitled Occupy Liberalism. He's desperate to win that. And I wonder whether it's worth that fight around the terminology.
1: No, in this moment, it's imperative that people not be cowardly they must take the position that they feel is is the most correct one. Of course, we must always be open to debate, to revising our views, but you can't be guided by the mob on Twitter. You know, I mean, if it's not good for one's career or something, that's, that's not a legitimate um, reason to take a position. If you feel that liberal values... Are where you would like to align yourself if you feel you would like to align yourself. I mean, essentially, you were sketching out a social democratic vision, which really? you know is kind of left part of liberalism. Then, you know, you need to take on the DA and the Institute for Race Relations when they claim to have a monopoly over what <laughs> counts as liberalism, and you need to also take on the people who will say that, um, you know, liberalism is only something that is, um, uh. That is only white people identify with because 100%. that's not historically true. Yeah. yeah, And then, of course, you need to debate with with all the there's numerous critiques of liberalism. They come from all different corners, from the right, from the left, um, and and from forms of of political thinking that are, are outside of those categories of left and right that developed in
0: Europe. Hundred percent. And as Charles like, says, you know, you, you've got you've got you alienate people. Either side, they've got those liberals who think there's nothing wrong with liberalism. What are you trying to occupy and reconstruct? Leave us alone. The definitions are perfectly fine. We're proud of the history, regardless of Richard Pitthouse's critique. And so they want to sort of keep you out of the, you know, the the group of folks that are entitled to call themselves liberal. And then the other extreme, you've got your friends who, you know, who don't want to be seen to be your friend because you call yourself a liberal. So you've got radical blacks who thought that you were a friend of theirs in the fight for justice for black people, not knowing why the hell you're trying to tinker with this this absurdity, this project of reconciling liberalism with radical black thought. But it's a really interesting and important project. And I do locate myself there and I want to do more work on it. And I think this podcast um, hopefully will generate conversation. I've got a last question for you, Richard. You did acknowledge something, despite being a critic of liberal liberalism, um, but in the name of intellectual honesty, you rightly recognize that sometimes there's a misdescription of what liberalism is about and a failure to recognize that there are liberalisms. A super clever friend of mine who is now in government and could equally have been an excellent um, political philosopher of our generation um, mm-hmm. wrote a master's thesis, Jack kossef way back yeah. when I was still at Rhodes um, under the supervi- supervision of um, Ivo Sarokinsky. And it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, piece of not just normative argumentation, but also exegetical work looking into mold um, and also into Hegel and attempting to reconcile them. I want to give you the bastardization of his version of his thesis by summarizing the main strategy of what he did in 30 seconds. And basically what he did, Richard, was to look at primary texts, analyze them very closely, and unsurprisingly came to the conclusion that a proper understanding of Hegel is that Hegel wrongly sometimes get criticized in a typical undergraduate textbook as paying insufficient attention to the individual and slavishly imposing social structures like Mm. church, family, etc., as being far more fundamental to the life of the the individual's own individuality. And equally, he said that a proper interpretation of the main text of Mill leads one to conclude that, again, Your useful term, one exposition of mill, makes one believe that liberals are people who have this atomistic conception of the individual, that individuals just float around, or if they don't float around, they don't give a damn about their social relations. Social relations are secondary. But actually, there's an important place for them. Even in Locke, you mentioned Locke earlier, um, property rights can't exist unless you imagine people stand in social relations to one another. So here's my question that flows out of all of that. Do you think that sometimes, both within the academy and within public debate about political ideology, we we do ourselves a disservice by having these really, really crappy, um, unfair descriptions of our opponents? Liberals don't care about things like Ubuntu, and equally, a Marxist really doesn't care about the oppression of the individual. And I'm deliberately using those examples because those are the kinds of way in which we are very reductive in our descriptions of our opponents. But maybe both the importance of autonomy and individuality, as well as the importance of social structures, find some emphasis in all of these great thinkers and great ideologies. And the real difference is in the, is in the detail rather than in the fundamentals.
1: Well, I mean, with the first point, there's no question that we mentioned this a couple of minutes ago that public debate and always, not always uh, untrue of the academy as well is often just a slanging match sure. in which people's positions are, are, are caricatured and terms are used that are, are, are not indicative of a serious intellectual commitment to debate. They, they're just forms of, of, of insults. So if you serious about conceptual rigor and you serious about the idea that not everyone arrives in a discussion with all the answers and that a discussion should be approached seriously and with the possibility of people changing their minds in that discussion, then you have to give the best possible account you can Mm -hmm. of the people you're debating with. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you wanted to critique liberalism in South Africa and there's some very good critiques of it, you can't just use Helen Ziller's tweets as your, as the basis for your critique. You'd have to look at the whole range of liberal thought mm-hmm. um, and you'd have to look at it over time and so on.
0: Absolutely. And in some of serious second- scholars and some serious South Africans committed to questions of justice who've written on liberalism and they're not on Twitter necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the research on, on, on some of the black lawyers who've played a key role in us reaching the point we have um, takes very seriously their agency and Mm. how they invested sometimes in what are essentially liberal concepts of the law. That's right. You know, Mm. I mean, yeah. 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 No no one is is, is served by these kinds of crudities. Yeah. In terms of your second point about individual autonomy and, and social structures, I mean, you do get extremists. You know, when Margaret Thatcher said there's no such thing as society... I don't know if she fully believed it because, you know, I mean, presumably she was willing to go on the street where there ruled rules of the road, Exactly. you know, <laughs> um, and presumably when she turned on the tap, she thought water would come out. But she did take quite an extreme point of view against the idea of society. I mean, I don't think that, you know, I mean, Hegel is not, John Locke, or Kant, or or Marx, or C.L.R. James, or there are real differences in in how people see the world. Mm. But I I, I guess your point is that if you look closely enough at any really great thinker, not someone throwing insults around on Twitter, but one of the really great thinkers, Mm. you will generally find way more complexity Mm. in their thoughts than is generally acknowledged in casual references to them.
0: On a parting shot, um two questions. How do you self refer if I forced you to, in terms of all the ideological positions available in political theory, as Richard, actually, we know your work, and, and we can infer some of your commitments from it, I could infer what they are, but I may as well ask you directly because I can. Um, and then and then, so that's one question. And then the, the outro question is, do you think this kind of discussion, besides being intellectually cool, do you think it matters to, to someone listening to the podcast? Should it matter to them? Look,
1: we're in deep shit in South Africa, <laughs> and the whole world is in quite serious trouble as well. Um and the kind of naive hopes that people had for a long time that you know, there's a kind of teleology that, you know, we're moving towards this wonderful future and we've got this constitution and, you know, that's all gone. No one has that, that faith anymore. I mean, in one respect, you could say we've attained a kind of maturity, mm-hmm. you know. We, we know we have to take responsibility for the kind of society we want or at least even the kind of society that people can just live with. And that requires Sarah's political work. And we have an uneven but often appallingly inadequate public sphere. I mean, it just blew my mind how a number of media organizations took the recent statements by Tokyo sekhwale seriously. <laughs> they were engaging them like they a serious thing to engage. Now, that's the level of our public sphere. We basically have no chance of resolving our problems, none. So insisting on intellectual rigor, on conceptual rigor, is actually not just the responsibility of academics or public intellectuals like yourself. It's it's a responsibility of anyone who wants to participate seriously in a democratic public sphere. Um, You know, obviously, different people are located differently in terms of debates and um, what's important to them and, and what kind of information they can access and so on. But everybody <laughs> needs to be serious about politics.
0: I'm glad you've said then, that. I feel affirmed for this, this choice. <laughs> and my first one, you are not ordinarily in your work um, self-indulgently, self-referential, but I'm giving you permission, so you may as well go there. How do you, where do you fit in ideologically if you had to place yourself?
1: I don't fit neatly into any of the standard pre-existing ideological camps that are routinely available in South Africa. Um, I mean, it's quite limited, really, what what, what your possibilities are here. (laughs) I'm definitely, definitely to the left. My starting point is in some ways, like yours, the autonomy of every human being and the need to to respect that um, the value of every human being if you don't think that anyone is disposable and everyone has the same right to make their life freely and with dignity and with the material resources that are required for that um, you run into pretty radical opposition to to the status quo so you know, I'm certainly not a communist like the South African Communist Party is, and I'm certainly not a socialist like some of the little Trotskyist cults you get are are, are socialists. Mm. What I'm committed to is a kind of um politics that we're possible because politics is is always operates in the terrain of the possible and different things are possible in different moments and different contexts. Sure. Is building popular democratic power from below Mm -hmm. to to challenge established forms of authority and power, and there are things where my thinking would intersect with with liberalism. I mean, I would never um, support something because there's a context in which a majority supports it, you know, xenophobia, death penalty, homophobia would hold the line on those things as principles that are non-negotiable and that Mm are inviolable. But I also don't have um, a fetishized relationship to the law. I mean, I'm, I'm all for using it to protect the space for, for politics, for, for popular democratic politics, to use it strategically. But, you know, I also fully support and have been for a very long time involved with land occupations. Hmm. which, um, you know, uh, in legal terms are, are trespass.
0: Sure. you know. Richard, you've been absolutely brilliant, illuminating so many of these important concepts to us. I think in a future podcast, I will dedicate a whole podcast to discussing how do we, outside of the formal democratic structures, build popular democratic movements in a bottom-up manner, There are excellent examples in our society and they don't necessarily get the kudos that they deserve for adding to uh, the democratic project. And those social movements need to be theorized and they also just need to be celebrated. And I would love to have you back for that podcast. But in the context of this discussion about liberalism, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. And uh, I always do appreciate... The conceptual rigor you bring into the public sphere, and of course, we don't agree on everything, but that's not the point in this kind of discussion. You take care. In the ring with Eusebius Marcus.